Pride Pals, the podcast where I, entertainment writer and secret princess, Alex Jung, sit down with some friends to celebrate queer entertainment. Today I am with science communicator Hol Wardle to talk about androgyny in Steven Universe and She-Ra, from gems to shapeshifters and the importance of diversity in the writer's room. You can find all five seasons of She-Ra currently streaming on Netflix, and you can watch the first season of Steven Universe also on Netflix, although the rest of the show is not available to be streamed anywhere online, or at least not to my knowledge. Anyway, let's get straight to the discussion. to like properly welcome you so like welcome to pride pals hello hello this is very fun yes it's lovely to have you and i'm really excited about what we're talking about today as they're both things i really love like i didn't have to do loads of research for this because i already have i just know it i've absorbed it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah just to start off i wanted to ask what your experience with these shows are, uh, in case past introductory me hasn't said, we are talking about Steven Universe and She-Ra and specifically looking at androgyny in the shows. Uh, so yeah, what was your experience with them? How did you find them? What kind of drew you to them? Yeah, so for reference, I am 21 years old. So... Steven Universe and She-Ra are specifically, or like the new She-Ra, not the old one, the new um, Noelle Stevenson led mm-hmm. She-Ra are all very like modern kids shows. Mm-hmm. And obviously I'm not a kid. Um, but yeah, being around um, online, honestly, these shows kind of picked up. So She-Ra I found initially because Noelle Stevenson, I'm a massive nerd and I love Critical Role, mm-hmm. um, which is the D&D web series with a whole bunch of voice actors. It's the most, um, one of the most subscribed, I believe. It has to be. It has to be. With the massive Kickstarter for the animated series, but... Either way, Noelle is good friends with a lot of the cast and I'm pretty sure she's been on the show a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I found She-Ra on Netflix and I saw that she was one of the uh, series leads, I was like, oh, okay, I know who that is. I'm interested. Let's give it a go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm all for these shows that like kids shows I love stuff that's a bit more light yeah because like I'm a chemistry student I have to think a lot (laughs) in my everyday and at least when I first went in I was like oh these look like you know stuff I can turn my mind off watching just like a really cute little kids show Mm -hmm. and then you get past like the first season or two and realize there's a lot going on there Mm-hmm. They're not the kids' shows that we grew up with. Absolutely not. It's, it's not a Phineas and Ferb where they're just like making <laughs> roller coasters or anything like that. Like these are shows that deal with some really heavy stuff. Yeah. And yeah, Steven Universe in the queer community is really it's a bit of an emblem. Mm-hmm. Especially within the trans community. Mm-hmm. It's huge for so many people because of the way that it presents gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And honestly, both of them are brilliant for that. I think I found Steven Universe from places like Tumblr. Mm-hmm. And these like fandom communities. Um like the a lot of the art from Steven Universe is gorgeous Mm -hmm. so 
that drew me in instantly and the first season was on Netflix a while ago back when I first started watching it so it was really easy to just dive in the same way with She-Ra yeah they are very deceptive (laughs) when you first look at them as to the sort of stuff they're going to talk about and they they look like they're just going to be dumb kids shows they're just there for you to have fun and then you actually start watching and realize they they really talk about some heavy stuff and i really wish i had shows like this when i was a kid yeah i think it's interesting that you kind of call it both shows deceptive because i think that's a really good way of describing them and in the terms of themes and storylines directions the plot goes into rather not dark like super dark but darker for the average kid show but also in terms of the queer representation do you think that's why you know when I say let's talk about some queer media and celebrate it you picked these ones out I think so I think one of the biggest things that strikes me about She-Ra and Steven Universe is the way that they actually represent a lot of real life mm-hmm. in terms of like queer representation in She-Ra for example mm-hmm. all of the like queer relationships between for example when um, what are their names it's Spinnerella and Natossa Natossa mm-hmm. when they're first introduced it's there's no big song and dance the fact that they're married is just kind of casually thrown in there mm-hmm. there is no big plot line about the fact that they're two women who are in love with each other it's not a big deal mm-hmm. which in an ideal world is exactly how queer people should be treated in real life we are just normal people and that's one of the reasons why I think these darker elements can be explored in these shows because in real life these darker elements aren't just magically not there even for kids yeah like even in a kid's life you still have real life going on yeah good example like looking at steven universe he's a kid at the start of the show and as you go through he's put into so many like life and death situations when he's like 12 or 13 Mm. um and he's a kid right but when you reach the final season which is after all the big plot has been resolved um they start to discuss the concept of trauma Mm -hmm. in a kids show but it's it's taught like treated with such delicacy and in such a nice way that it is representative of real life Mm mm-hmm sure you've got all of these weird magical elements with like gemstone people or magical swords and princesses and all of that but people still lose family members people still have two dads Mm -hmm. people are still gender non-conforming and that's just real life the shows don't treat them as this big deal or something to always make a plot point around they're just kind of there yeah I completely agree it's it's kind of crazy to me how today's a lot of kids shows are normalizing things that are normal in ways that so many other shows can't and shows that you know are about real life and don't have magical princesses and fights like you said these shows that are so highly fantasy are some of the most normal shows with the most normal people and normal worlds it's it's really something else 
Right? Like, if you look at when um, Bo's family gets introduced in She-Ra, mm-hmm. it's just so casually thrown in that he has two dads and he's the youngest of a big family. Mm-hmm. But there's there's never really a point made about that. No, Glim is far more amazed by the fact that Bo has loads of siblings and the fact that he has two dads right that's just normal yeah and they are such a lovely pair they're so sweet like, they are so cute together especially like when you get later on in the show when they start geeking out over all of these historical artifacts that they found because you've got these two history buffs like history professors mm-hmm. so you don't get that portrayal of a gay relationship that is super troubled in a way that you'd get in a lot of other media yeah they're just two dads who are in love yeah they're best friends just as much as their partners it's so sweet yeah and it's the same it's the same with natossa and spinnerella they they have hardships in their relationship like any anyone in a relationship does um but they're steady and happy and it's it's so nice to see you it's exactly what kids need to see Mm -hmm. because like especially young kids just absorb this media like a sponge yeah like think about the kids watching frozen and they can't shut up about the songs right Mm -hmm. kids just absorb this media but if all the representation they see is like the gay panic, all the gay relationships are doomed. Yeah. Um, all of the women are super feminine, all the men are super manly. Mm-hmm. How are they going to know that anything else exists? Yeah. My um, my young cousin, I think she's six or seven, I can't remember now, loves She-Ra and... Um, absolutely identifies with glimmer as a character and just takes it in and i remember saying like oh what what do you think of of adora and catra and she's like they're really cute i hope they get together in the end and i'm like that's wholesome (laughs) yes oh i think that kind of moves us on to talking about androgyny which i know you wanted to talk about um i thought we could start with steven universe as it comes slightly before shira um and is really unique in presenting androgyny they have explicitly non-binary characters and also ones that are more implicitly queer what sort of stands out for you in that the thing that strikes me the most with steven universe and the way that gender is presented is how how do i phrase it well in part is just how normal it all is Mm-hmm. because yeah there are these gems who are god how do i describe them they are like aliens from outer space i guess who are people with a gem at their core so they're these like inorganic life being like life forms but as part of that they reproduce asexually so they implant gems under the ground that's how gems reproduce so sex isn't really a thing Mm -hmm. you don't really have like men and women or the concept of a binary within gem culture because why why would you (laughs) which really strikes me because here you have a culture where gender is such a spectrum and it is written into the culture in a way that if you look at our culture on earth Mm -hmm. well particularly in western culture because that's what i'm used to in the uk gender is so um reinforced and so written into a lot of our historical culture. Yeah. Here you have this whole 
whole like culture of thousands upon millions of these gender non-conforming gems who technically all are non-binary because they don't have a binary in the first place Mm -hmm. okay yes a lot of these gems are coded female Mm -hmm. so a lot of them do have she her pronouns um but a lot of them are very gender non-conforming so if you look at the crystal gems who were your main cast your three air quote mums <laughs> that Stephen had when he was growing up more, more like disaster aunts <laughs> to be honest um when Stephen's mum rose quartz i was i would say air quote air quotes gave birth who knows what happened there to this kid who was half human half gem um in the process of her having Stephen, she had to give up her gem to pass it on to him, mm-hmm. which meant only one of them could exist. And she gave up her own gem so Stephen could live. And as a result, Stephen was raised by three gems who were close with Rose Quartz. Um with Pearl, who's very stereotypically feminine, very petite, very ballerina-esque. Mm-hmm. But you also have Garnet, who is um, black-coded, strong, stoical mm-hmm. woman. And Amethyst, who is such a tomboy. <laughs> yeah. Very she's a disaster a lovable disaster Mm -hmm. um so even within your core three cast two out of three of these like family members of steven aren't super feminine Mm -hmm. and that's that's just his direct family Uh, if you look out towards um some of the other crystal gems that get brought in later on in the series mild spoilers um very mild paradox for example is a gem from homeworld so the home planet of the gems who comes down and eventually gets converted i guess to the crystal gems cause in sticking up for earth and protecting the earth Mm-hmm. but she's very not feminine just the way that she's drawn and her physique is not super feminine in the first place but mm-hmm. she's also coded as being mildly autistic which I absolutely adore because it is just normal mm-hmm. the way that she does not she's very lovely absolutely lovely as a character she doesn't relate to the other characters in the same way she has a very unique relationship in a way that's very accurate to so many autistic people i know in real life like my younger brother um it's just normal Mm -hmm. there are so many of these gems like jasper who is very masculine, mm-hmm. but is still referred to with she/her pronouns. Yeah. Um, all of these gems come in so many shapes and sizes, and they are such a spectrum of presentation. And that even when you look at the humans, because this isn't just about the gems. The humans in the community near where Stephen lives. Um, in the episode I was watching yesterday, so I just finished the end of the season yesterday and cried a lot. <laughs> um, Sadie's partner gets introduced right at the end and is explicitly non-binary, referred to with they-them pronouns the whole time. 
And my absolute favourite bit of all of Steven Universe is the concept of fusions. So for people who haven't seen the show, a fusion is where two gems will combine their physical forms together to create a new form which is stronger than previous when they're separate can be seen as an analogy for relationships can be seen as an analogy for friendships mild mild spoilers for the end of season one um garnet for example who's one of um steven's companions is like the aunt that's actually you know good at being an aunt um isn't actually a single gem garnet is a fusion of two gems of a ruby and a sapphire which stephen did not know about until he was wait god like 12 uh because ruby and sapphire spend their whole time fused ruby is very masculine presenting mm-hmm. all of the rubies are still referred to with she her pronouns but together they are better than they are apart yeah um the most notable of the fusions is steve Oni. i love steve Oni. um steve Oni, oh my god it's one of the best examples of gender non-conforming representation for kids mm-hmm. because Steve Oni is a fusion between Stephen who is half gem half human and his best friend I guess yeah crush you could also say mm-hmm. um Connie who is also a human um which was a real big deal when it happened because it shouldn't be able to happen. Mm-hmm. But together they make Steve Oni, who is all but explicitly uh, gender non-conforming, non-binary. Mm-hmm. Um, when Steve Oni whisks herself away onto this desert island um they are pictured shaving but they're also their physical form is pretty feminine but it's it's beautiful to see the way that this beautiful non-conforming person it's just it's just normal mm-hmm. the big deal was never about the gender thing it's just casually shown that this feminine presenting Steve Oni was shaving mm-hmm. their face. It's just casual. It's just a shot just in there. And it's such a powerful message for kids mm-hmm. that this non-conforming visual is normal, or at least it should be. We're not quite there yet as a culture, but we're working on it. Yeah. There's also a, a, one of my favourite scenes with Stevani is the one, uh, I think it's when they first fuse and they first appear on uh, on the show and they go into uh, the donut shop and both Lars and Sadie, who are other humans living in this world, they both work at the donut shop and Stevani walks in and both Lars and Sadie are absolutely enamoured with this person. Like, gender doesn't even matter. Like, oh, Steve both... is gorgeous, though. Yeah. You can't be... Who isn't enamoured with Steve <laughs> But it, it's that moment where they both, a female-presenting character and a male-presenting character, look at this non-conforming character with the exact same expression of just, like, I, I I think you're amazing and I'm going to give you free donuts because you're really pretty. <laughs> oh my God. And it's great. I think a lot of this comes down to the fact that Rebecca Sugar, who created Steven Universe, 
is non-binary as well. Yeah. Um, and like knows the importance of representation and also casting, which is why Shep, the non-binary uh, human who's dating Sadie in... Uh, oh, yeah, that's the name. Uh, <laughs> I literally watched the episode yesterday. <laughs> but yeah, uh, they are voiced by a non-binary actor, India Moore. Um, and things like that are just also a nice step in the right direction. But that's... It's the big thing, right? Is the representation in honestly both the shows is so sympathetic it is done by people who get it Mm -hmm. rebecca sugar like they know exactly what the experience is like Mm -hmm. living it themselves it is not them trying to find a way to include this trendy storyline or use it to make a conflict Mm -hmm. they just they know what the experience is like having lived it themselves and they can include this really sympathetic representation of these um people Mm -hmm. i think that would be a nice segue we're professional of this, uh, into oh, yeah. She-Ra, um, because She-Ra follows Steven Universe with having a explicitly non-binary character with Double Trouble, also voiced by a non-binary actor, Jacob Tobia, who I know Noel worked with, uh, Noel Stevenson worked very closely with to create a, a honest representation of a non-binary person. Um, what what did you think of Double Trouble and other uh, representations of androgyny in She-Ra? Oh, I love Double Trouble so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love their characters so much. They're so chaotic. Um, so chaotic. <laughs> and I mean, ac- accurate to a lot of us in real life. <laughs> um, yeah. Double Trouble is one of my favourite characters. One of the biggest things with Double Trouble for me is there's there's a lot of representation of AFAB MBs online. So assigned female at birth, MBs. Um, but not many assigned male at birth, mm-hmm. MBs around. Just in general, um, I can't speak to why that is Mm. double trouble definitely comes across to me as sitting closer to representing how do i word it not just representing this side of the community that is already very visual like um already very God, I can't brain today. <laughs> that side that isn't as represented as AFAB. Yes, that's it. Yeah, these very um, underrepresented side of our community. Mm-hmm. And Double Trouble definitely sits on that side for me. Their voice is not explicitly feminine, mm-hmm. except their parts of their physical design which is pretty different to the way that non-binary people are often represented so that's one thing I definitely feel about Stephen Universe that maybe could have done with a bit more work is they were very <clears throat> femme heavy yeah which is nice and I, 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 I love having that heavy representation of women and female coded characters but there's not much representation sort of towards the masculine side mm-hmm. of the gender non-conforming which is a little bit sad because they don't really get represented as much mm. um like non-binary people with beards just yeah we don't really tend to see it but 
Double Trouble definitely fits in that underrepresented side that I I just love it because it teaches me as well because I don't like we have to be honest about this AFAB MBs are often a lot more welcomed than AMAB MBs because of a lot of the cultural perception around feminine men versus masculine women Mm. there is still a massive stigma around that huge stigma around people who were assigned male at birth presenting in any way feminine Mm -hmm. in a way that i just will never experience characters like double trouble really help to bring those people into the community a bit more if you know what i mean yeah i I do i think it's it kind of broaches that gap that is very missing in or very prevalent in uh entertainment even ones that are very good at representing queer people and queer identities another character in she-ra that i think no, I don't think they go far enough to, to say that they are non-conforming, but it's a really subtle thing that I I appreciate and I think kind of relates to this is Bo and his design, because he... Oh, that, yeah. The episode in which he we, as the audience, get to meet his dads, there is an actual plot point revolving around the fact that whilst he's... his like midriff is covered because he normally is wearing a crop top he is not actually able to be successful and be himself he is physically restrained by the fact <laughs> that he's not showing his midriff and like that's that's a very active point and for the rest of the show he is always he's always wearing a crop top which like i said it's a not far enough i think that we could then call him non-conforming but it's a small step in showing like yeah, you're a you're a guy. You want to wear a crop top? Do it. Why not? Yeah, because there's still a massive stigma there mm-hmm. around men experimenting a bit more and stepping outside of that little tiny box. Mm-hmm. Plus, like the crop top looks great on him. It does. <laughs> you also have in the princess prom episode where he's wearing the cummerbund, and then he, as soon as he walks in, he just like whips it off. It's like look. I'm wearing a crop top. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of other characters within Shira, a lot of the princesses are not kind of restrained by rigid gender, like concepts of gender that we have in the real world. You have people like Entraptor, who is super nerdy and, and very much that kind of STEM character, you know, really into tech and things like that i love the way that she-ra starts to change the definition of princess Mm -hmm. because right when we were growing up for example which is not actually that long ago our pictures of princess is like your disney princesses like your snow white and your cinderella Mm -hmm. who are these incredibly feminine figures who don't have much agency mm. in their own stories. To me, before shows like She-Ra, that was always what being a princess meant. Mm-hmm. But a princess is... It doesn't have to be like that. And look at characters like Scorpia. Scorpia is by no means what I would think of as a princess before watching the show. She is super butch so ripped like so ripped Mm -hmm. not this little dainty princess who waits for the plot to come to them Mm -hmm. i just i love it it's starting to shift that definition so you can be a princess but you can still be super smart and play with tech and save someone's life Mm. But you can also be like Glimmer, 
who's a princess and still has that really pretty glitter appearance, mm-hmm. but he's just a badass. These things, like, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Princess doesn't have to mean dainty and idle and just looking cute. It can be all of these things. I just, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, they don't restrict themselves in any way. They let their characters have, you know, multiple facets to them. Scorpia, the incredibly butch character, shows up at Princess Prom in this gorgeous, elegant black dress and big black earrings because, you know, why would you expect her to show up in a a suit? She's, you know, has a very butch figure, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to want to wear a suit or something. That doesn't mean she can't. We'll look at... um... Again, in Princess Prom, looking at both Adora and Catra, mm. I don't. I initially thought that they would be dressed the other way round. I thought Catra would be wearing the dress and Adora would be wearing the suit. Mm. But that is not the way that it uh, ends up in the final show. Mm. And Catra looks bomb in that suit. <laughs> oh yeah. She looks so good. My laptop wallpaper is currently of Scorpia in the black dress and Catra in her suit from Princess Prom. Such an iconic duo mm-hmm. right there. <laughs> the way that the show plays with fashion like that and gender presentation. Gender and fashion are slightly decoupled mm. a lot more than other shows that I've watched. Yeah, like, like Scorpia wearing the dress or Catra wearing the suit. It doesn't have to be so mutually exclusive. You can experiment. You can wear what you like. You're not restricted to just what you think you should wear. Yeah, I think I think Shira does incredibly in that area. Do we want to step away from androgyny for a second and just talk about the rest of the queer stories in Shira? Sounds great. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. There's so much. <laughs> um, what what were the ones that stood out for you? One of the biggest ones that stood out to me, obviously, was... Spoiler alert for the end of She-Ra. Um, Catra and Adora. Mm-hmm. Their arc together as a couple was just so nuanced and real in a way that I have not seen for another queer couple in another show before. The fact that they were two women didn't really come up, like, ever. There was no, oh, but you're both girls, what are you gonna do? Like, that was never a plot point. Mm Again, I know I keep hammering on about it. It was real. And their arc going from being such good friends when they were kids to them dealing with the trauma of their upbringing Mm -hmm. in two completely individual ways, only to then find each other again and reconcile. Just, it just hit me, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think you just, you put it really nicely, the, that the idea that they go on very separate journeys to accomplish very similar goals and then find each other again. It it was really interesting. And also the fact that, for like, from the beginning, Catra, her becoming the antagonist was always underlaced with that sense of redemption. You knew it was going to come eventually because you knew that her motives were always flawed. Like, she wasn't evil. And that that's a trap that these sorts of shows can fall into a lot. Mm-hmm. Which she doesn't at all, really. No one in this show that you would cast as a quote-unquote villain is outright evil. And all of the bad stuff that Catra does is always, like, I mean, through an adult's eyes, obviously. I'm not sure this would come across quite as well to a kid. But you could see that a lot of Catra's thought process was flawed. Mm -hmm. And you could see 
how a lot of her decisions were motivated by trauma with the way that she was treated by Shadow Weaver when she was young. Sure, at the start of the show, Adora is this shining soldier who's being redeemed and going over to the good side. But as you get a couple of seasons in, you see that she's also struggling. I also love the way that it it doesn't use their relationship as a way to heal each other. It, again, in a lot of media, relationships are portrayed as this, like, like your other half. It will complete you and you'll be fixed and they'll help you through your trauma, blah, blah, blah. As somebody who's been in a relationship for a very long time now, <laughs> that is absolutely not the case. Both Katra and Adora have their trauma, the separate trauma, that sure they do help each other, but they do not get together until they have both processed it to at least some degree. Mm-hmm. It is not treated as if them getting together is how they're going to heal themselves. They have to go on their own journeys before they can come back together. That's just so powerful. It's such a, a, a good message that a lot of people our age don't know. Mm. I know I didn't for a very long time. Mm. I think they also, what's good is even with quote unquote straight relationships, they have that same kind of story. None of the characters are kind of smushed together and said, now you fix each other and save the world. They all have their own journeys, and some of them just yeah. happen to be queer. And I, I saw absolutely no difference to the way that the queer relationships were written and portrayed versus any of the quote-unquote straight ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's helped by the fact that there aren't actually any coming-out stories. No one comes out in She-Ra or Steven Universe, I don't oh think. Oh my god. Yeah. Nobody has that huge coming out process which feels like it's a massive feature of these stories that are written by people who don't what haven't lived that experience themselves life goes on after you've come out the whole queer experience isn't quantified like uh, quantified by a coming out story mm-hmm. it's about more than that we are still people. We still have relationships past when we come out. And a lot of people don't ever come out. You don't need a coming out story in either of these shows. None of it would have aided in the plots, like the main plots or any of the characters' arcs, really. It's refreshing. Very, very refreshing. Yeah, they go to show that coming out stories aren't needed to amplify a queer story. They can work in, and be incredibly powerful w- without them. Just showing that queer people exist is more than enough. Because we do. <laughs> That's what we do. Do you have anything else to add on either of these shows? Because I, f- I feel like we've come to a, a quite a natural and nice conclusion. I've got a little a little story you might like. Okay. Actually. Shoot. Um bit more personal. We love that. For the reference of the audience, uh I am non binary, but I am also a relatively new MB. I've only been like quote out quote unquote to some of my closest friends for a few months. Um but I genuinely think, before watching a lot of these shows, I didn't realise that these sorts of identities existed. If you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even as a 21-year-old, I didn't realise that a lot of these identities were valid. And they were real, and that can be... It was a very good way of describing how I felt. Mm-hmm. So, I... 
I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this before, but I initially um, came out as gender fluid back in sixth form. So I was about 17, 18. um, And that was around when, you know, when Ruby Rose was on Orange is the New Black. Oh, yeah. And they got really popular. Mm -hmm. Um. There was that little cultural moment with all of the straight women going, oh, she, she's so hot. <laughs> Just because it was a masculine presenting, young, hot, non-binary person. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ruby Rose was always very, well, still is very vocal about their gender nonconformity, and they made the short film. Um describing their experience where they quote-unquote transition I guess between being very feminine presenting very masculine presenting um and going like watching all of that that kind of sparked something in my head of like oh okay this makes sense it could be this Mm -hmm. that explains a lot um I was already I already dressed pretty masculine masculine presenting a lot of the time anyway but I cut my hair in the bathroom sink Mm -hmm. like I have many times um down to a pixie from it being just past shoulder length I think um but I got mocked a little bit when I got to college um and Jacob my partner was always there for me mm-hmm. and has always been really good at sticking up for me with stuff like this um but it was just too much I think that led to me kind of dropping it for a while because I couldn't deal with that Mm. I I couldn't deal with all these people like a lot of people saying I didn't exist right in front of my face that's not that's awful Um, I'm like when you're like 16, 17 that's horrible Mm -hmm. so I dropped it for ages and I hated my short hair and went back to presenting relatively feminine um still pretty alternative i went towards the grungy side of the tumblr aesthetic for a while mm-hmm. um but it wasn't until not that long ago that i came back to these pieces of media and i was like hang on a second so i finally had people in my life who felt this way Mm -hmm. and I knew a lot of the people around me were accepting of this and seeing these shows like She-Ra and Steven Universe just brought that thought back into my head again Mm. and just how normal it is yeah in shows like this it means a lot mm-hmm. and it's really helped me come to terms with the fact that it is normal mm-hmm. and it is okay mm-hmm. and that those people at college were just not the people I should have been around it didn't mean I was wrong. Mm-hmm. It meant they were being the intolerant ones. Absolutely. And I have not had anything feel as good as that night where we cut all of my hair off again. Mm-hmm. And I went down to having short hair again and I could present a lot more androgynous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nothing's felt that good in a very long time. 
coming back to presenting like this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it explains a lot as to why I was struggling so much for a long time. Mm-hmm. Shows like this are just such a, like a bomb, and it's. I I it makes me really happy to know that there are kids watching this. Like, it's a kids show. Yes, there is a huge fan base of people who are, you know, young adults, such as ourselves. But that there's going to be a whole new generation growing up with this just there. It's it's so powerful because it can do so much to any anyone. It's exactly what I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure, yeah, again, it is just a show. It is just a TV show. But these pieces of media do a lot more than just exist as a show that people watch. Mm-hmm. They can be way more powerful than that. Yeah, these these are incredibly important shows. That's a, a sad but also nice story. And you can tell you're so much more confident and just in yourself now. It's nice. <laughs> No, and thank you for helping me cut my hair. <laughs> it it was fun. <laughs> it was very satisfying to watch, <laughs> to get the scissors and just chop, chop through. <laughs> I think that is a nice, a, a really nice way to end this episode because it does, it just goes to show how important queer representation is in films and TV and, and kids shows. Yes, thank you so much for coming on and for speaking so openly. Awesome, thank you. So that was the second episode of Pride Pals. Thank you so much again for listening. If you want to check out what Hall is doing, you can find their website at hollywardle.co.uk and you can find them active on Twitter and Instagram, to which I will link in the description down below. To keep up to date with Pride Pals, be sure to follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore Dewing and be sure to join us next time when we'll be discussing the subtle queerness of Night in the Woods.